Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, March 30th. I'm Jay White and for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Mississippi Senate votes not to confirm the State Board of Education's appointment for superintendent, and black members say race is a factor. Then, a former president of the State Medical Association breaks down new legislation that provides hospital grants. Plus, a friend of Arthur, author, excuse me, Harper Lee reflects on their time together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Good morning again. Mississippi's Senate has struck down a nomination for the state superintendent of education. The Mississippi Board of Education selected Robert Taylor to fill the role in November of last year, contingent upon a later confirmation by the Senate. Taylor grew up in Laurel and attended the University of Southern Mississippi, though has spent 30 years out of state with his wife who worked in the military. He was serving as deputy state superintendent in North Carolina when he was selected by the board. Taylor's nomination cleared both a subcommittee and the full education committee before reaching the floor, uh, though both of those votes were divided. During debate on the nomination, Democrat Hob Bryant questioned why the Senate was politicizing the nomination. I'm aware that among some senators, there's opposition to this nomination. I don't know of any reason that has been articulated that is compelling that we should reject this nominee. The state constitution vests in the state school board the authority to operate or choose the state superintendent. That constitutional amendment came about in the 1980s, in a period of time where there was an interest in getting this position out of the political process. There had been a state board of education uh, composed of three statewide elected officials. There was a very determined effort and a vote of the people to set up this state board of education to insulate public education from the political process. The members of this current board were appointed by the current lieutenant governor, the current governor, and the current speaker of the House. The unanimous recommendation of this board, appointed by those three individuals, is that this individual should be the state superintendent of education. 
Opposition to Taylor's nomination ranged from his out-of-state career to speculation he performed critical race theory. Republican Daniel Sparks says the data informed his vote against confirmation. The question was asked directly during the Senate education hearing, and the answer was not specific. There were not things that were said that gave me encouragement that the underperforming districts in this state would be best served. Yes, I do, too, have problems with the process. I do think it could be handled better. There's so many things in this state that we rely way too much on consultants, and people are too worried about who's getting the next contract. I have concerns about that, not only in education, but in every part of our government. We're too worried about who's going to get paid next. We're too worried about testing and who's going to get that contract. What we need to do is focus on the kids, and particularly the kids who have had the most difficult time in the underperforming schools. I'm going to vote no today, not because I don't respect the nominee, nor because I don't respect the Constitution, because the data I have before me says while someone may be constitutionally qualified, they may not be the right person for the job today. In the end, the Senate voted against confirmation 31 to 21. Five Republicans joined all the Democrats in voting yay. After the vote, black members of the Senate expressed their frustration outside the chamber, claiming the decision was based on race and not professional merit. Senator David Jordan of Greenwood, a former educator, says Taylor is more than qualified to do the job, but was judged by the color of his skin. Sometime the darkest hours is just before day. I've been in education for... 33 years. I taught chemistry and physics, sciences all my life uh, since that, in that 36 years. But when we look at who the governor recommended and who the school board, that the board that the governor appointed recommended, and then we come up with the Senate and rejects it. I know they have that right, but the person that we're talking about, Dr. Taylor, is a native son. He's a Mississippian who went to North Carolina and worked in that system. That system, grading, is higher than Mississippi's. And he came home to serve. He's a graduate of the University of Southern Mississippi. And we reject him for what reason other than the fact that God made him black. We got to grow up from that. Mississippi Board of Education must now appoint a new interim state superintendent. Coming up, a former president of the State Medical Association breaks down new legislation that provides hospital grants. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Good morning to you. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jay White, and for Desiree Frazier. 
A bill that provides grant funding for Mississippi hospitals is going to the governor. Both chambers of the state legislature have approved roughly $103 million in total funding that will be awarded to large and small hospitals in the state. Dr. Mark Horn is the chief medical officer at South Central Regional Medical Center in Laurel and a former president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. He tells our Lacey Alexander what this does and doesn't do for the state's mired health care system. A, it's appreciated. Um, it is very useful and very beneficial for hospitals across the state. It's certainly beneficial for the hospital that I work in at South Central Regional Medical Center in Laurel. But hospitals across the state uh, are bleeding to death. <laughs> uh, the patient is in critical condition. And what we've done is we've, we've given a Band-Aid, and it's better than nothing, but it's not nearly enough. And I don't want people to think this is the last uh, they're, they're going to continue to hear that the business model under which we are operating uh, is unsustainable and that we need uh, to continue the efforts um, to uh, stabilize the, uh, the health care in the state of Mississippi for hospitals and for physicians, uh, all for people who provide, and we need to fix the business model, which is broken. It's underfunded. Um, uh, it's overregulated. Um, insurance companies and other payers uh, routinely abuse their position to um, underpay for services. And then, unfortunately, we're one of a tiny handful of states that have said no to billions of dollars of revenue uh, through Medicaid uh, that we've somehow decided um, we just don't need the money. Uh, so it's a real challenge. And for educational purposes, as a medical professional and as someone who held a really high position at one point, how do you think how do you think we got here? How do you think we got to a point where the business model is, as you say, pretty much failing? Well, we have a, a model where the consumer, the patient, is rarely the principal payer. Uh, you buy insurance and you expect the insurance company, whether that insurance company is Medicare, Medicaid, Blue Cross Blue Shield, United Healthcare, you name the company, the expectation is that they will pay for the services that you need. Hospitals and physicians throughout the state, physician practices and, and hospitals, um, have tremendous restrictions on our ability to negotiate with these payers. So, the payers will um, set forth really restrictive rules that uh, increase our cost of doing business and quite often, depending on the payer source, pay less than it costs to provide the service. And so uh, if your grocery store was mandated uh, through food insurance to provide you food and, um, and you you got a hundred dollar bag of groceries, but they would only pay the the grocery store, you know, seventy five dollars, or in some cases fifty dollars, or in some cases, uh, if you don't have insurance, the grocery store is mandated to give you the food, uh, and just and just uh, take the entire loss. And that's where we are in healthcare. We have mandates to provide free care, and limitations on our ability to uh, be paid fairly. And what's happened against that is, well, prices, our cost of doing business. Everybody knows that labor uh, that wages have gone up. Well, we didn't get additional money. We didn't get paid extra for hospitalization or for providing a service. Those payments have either stayed static or diminished in many cases. 
but our cost of doing business has gone up. Electricity has gone up. Our food costs have gone up. Our labor costs have gone up. And uh, we have no ability to negotiate with the payers. And talk to me about the money that your entity will receive specifically. What do you think your hospital or your system plans on prioritizing when those funds come through? Keeping the doors open. I mean, we really, realistically, I mean, we, uh, we have uh, – this hospital in Laurel has uh, a long, long history. Our current uh, chief executive officer has been here over 30 years, and every single year of those 30 years we have – made uh, a bottom line we've made a money sometimes a little uh sometimes a little more but most often a modest a very modest sum just enough to kind of uh you know keep growing and advancing and doing well for our community um we are in the midst of um making very hard decisions about what where to contract because we cannot afford to continue to provide all the services we're doing and so this will temporarily uh, reduce some of the bleeding, but it is by no way means a solution. Our solution is uh, the solution we need is several times this revenue um, annualized. Uh, so it just this is the beginning, uh, but I don't want people in Mississippi to think that oh well the legislature doled out a hundred and every how many million dollars it is and that's that's it the healthcare crisis is over. It's nowhere near over. So from your perspective, is more state intervention necessary or are these business models going to have to find a different way of operating to get back on a decent track? I think it's an all of the above. Uh, there's the temporary measures simply to keep uh, hospital beds available. You, people need to understand we're not just talking about uh, rich hospital systems and and rich Healthcare providers, they as they may see it, uh, uh, preserving um, their their lifestyle. It's not about that. It's about will my mother have a place when she has a stroke? Will my mother have a place to go that she doesn't have to drive hours to get to to get health to get the uh, life saving care? If your child gets in an accident, will there be somewhere that's not hours away? that they can get the necessary, their essential emergent care. There are large swaths of our state, uh, particularly in the Delta, but across the state. If, if we don't do something pretty quickly, uh, I'd say we're past it pretty quickly. If we don't do something now to stabilize the smaller hospitals and even the bigger hospitals, which are losing money on, on uh, operations, the day-to-day, they can make some money off of non-operational things, but when it comes to operations, actually treating people in ERs and treating people in hospitals, they're losing money almost universally across the state. If that, we need to temporarily, we need to temporarily, uh, you know, shore things up, and then we need to get to the longer-term solution, which is going to be some conversations about why are we setting a match to billions of dollars of federal money. Uh, that could be used to hire nurses, to uh, keep ERs open, to keep hospital lines open, to keep obstetrical care in the Delta. You know, why are we setting uh, a fire to billions of federal dollars that could be used for that? I, it's kind of an interesting question. Um, so we got to solve the long-term problems, but we got to keep the patient from bleeding to death in the short term. 
Dr. Horn, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with us about this bill. Thank you. Dr. Mark Horn is the chief medical officer at South Central Regional Medical Center in Laurel. Coming up, a friend of author Harper Lee reflects on their time together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. Good morning to you. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jay White in for Desiree Frazier. Author Harper Lee had a reputation as a recluse, but Wayne Flint, whose friendship with Lee spanned a dozen years, doesn't remember her that way. Flint's book, Afternoons with Harper Lee, reflects on their relationship. Flint shares more with Mississippi Edition's Desiree Frazier. People refer to her as, as uh, angry and, uh, and uh, not very civil and uh, outspoken and uh, basically a whole series of negative impressions when in fact what she is or was uh, is intensely private. Uh, she was not a recluse. She was not shy. She did not reject social interactions with people. But people drove her crazy. <laughs> okay. And she was known for the book, To Kill a Mockingbird. Correct. Did people recognize her when they saw her out places? Because usually book writers, you don't recognize unless they do a lot of interviews on TV or in the press. She didn't like her photo made. She didn't like, uh, she didn't think of herself as pretty or handsome or distinguished. Uh, So uh, really, the the cover of my book, which is a full uh, cover uh, with nothing but her face, is probably the most uh, important photograph that I have ever seen of her, which is the reason I love the cover so much. Uh, The entire uh, jacket of the uh, book is nothing but her face looking out at you, the reader, and it is uh, it's, it's pretty overwhelming because uh, what you're thinking is what is she thinking? <laughs> what is she, what, what's behind the eyes? What's behind the, the face? How'd you get that photo? Uh, my publisher got it, and I don't know where he got it, uh, but. Uh, New South Books. I found it someplace, and uh, and uh, obviously we're able to get rights to use it, and uh, it's just a stunning cover. She and partly because of exactly what you say, uh, people know. Uh, I mean, most people have, who are interested in books have seen some sort of photograph of her, but uh, nothing posed, and cer- certainly nothing as compelling as as the jacket of the book. So you spent a lot of time with her. How did you meet her? Uh, we actually meet her, met her in a sort of a serendipitous uh, way. Uh, her sister, Louise Connor, uh, was uh, a wonderful woman who, who, when we knew her, was a widow. She had two sons, two very smart sons. And uh, 
lived in Eufaula, Alabama, which is only about a 35-minute drive from Auburn. And uh, we, uh, a group of us from Auburn University were planning a history and heritage festival. Uh, and we were, uh, what our idea was, was to bring literature and history and, and art and music to small towns across Alabama. We stayed away from Birmingham, Mobile, uh, uh, Huntsville, places like that. But we were looking at towns of, say, two or 3,000 up to maybe 15,000 people uh, where programs in the humanities are rare, if, if, if ever. Uh, they don't have local colleges uh, for the most part. And uh, one of our favorite places was Eufaula, which is right on the uh, Chattahoochee River, uh, border with Georgia. And it's an, an antebellum town. goes back. Uh, it sort of hinges the eastern part of the Alabama Black Belt. And so, so she lived in New York City for years until she had a stroke. Then she came back to Alabama. That's correct. And only under compulsion. <laughs> Uh, she was going to have to be six months in rehab, and uh, everyone in the family uh, knew that that would just be an impossible situation. No one could visit her from the family. She, uh, uh, she'd be an anonymous person in a pretty anonymous city. And so uh, with her consent and with the encouraging of her older sister, Alice, she moved to Lakeshore Rehab in Birmingham, or in Homewood, actually, a suburb of Birmingham. Afternoons with Harper Lee. Readers are going to get a close-up perspective from a friend who can get inside of what she was like since she was so private. That's correct. What I try to do is make her a real lady, a real Southern woman. Uh, I don't even like the term lady. She didn't like that term either. Uh, 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 What I say, the way I describe it is, I'm trying to help you understand an authentic Southern woman, not someone who is shy, not someone who is uh, 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 reserved, not someone who is afraid of other people. Uh, I I, I want people to know the authentic woman who didn't feel at all intimidated and uh, loved to intimidate me. And we had arguments all the time, which were fun arguments in a way, but uh, sometimes fairly serious disagreements. And, uh, and uh, I, w- I, want people, I don't want people to think of her as uh, a marble lady on the top of a statue in uh, Mississippi. I want, I want them to think of her as a, a, lo- a, a skin and bones and, and, blood and hurt and uh, sometimes angry and sometimes uh, uh, offensive. And and I want them to understand her humor. She was incredibly funny. She never desired to marry. Not that I know of. She she never showed much interest in dating. Uh, she was uh, uh, a, a tomboy when she grew up. In fact, one of my favorite stories is she was playing uh, football out on the uh, grass in front of the old courthouse in Mobile, and uh, and uh, uh, there was a boy who had the football and was running down the field, and she tackled him and knocked him down, and uh, he hit his leg, on, knee on a uh, rock, and it was bleeding, and, and he was sort of whimpering when he got up, and he said, Nell, 
we're we're playing touch football. And she said, oh, I don't play that sissy game. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty much her attitude toward life. Uh, uh, she was a great golfer. That was her favorite sport. Uh, and uh, in the family, uh, her, uh, she, she had a very athletic older brother who played football and, and uh, was a fighter pilot during the Second World War and very athletic. And uh, Ed uh, was the best golfer in the family. But uh, all all the members of the family said that Nell was the next best golfer. And uh, when she went to visit friends or was on vacation to various places, the first thing she'd do is head for a golf course. And you are keeping her memory alive through Afternoons with Harper Lee. That's correct. All righty, sir. Well, we thank you, Wayne Flint, for your time and speaking with us about your new book. Thank you again for your time. We appreciate it. Bye-bye. That was Mississippi Edition's Desiree Frazier. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.